welcome. Whether you're joining us on the roof or here in the Ritz or uh, with us online, uh, that line in that song, the weary world rejoices. I remember actually having somebody ask me once, why, do we use, why does that line exist and why do we sing it, the weary world? Because back in a former time, nobody was that weary. We kind of liked the world we were living in. Everything was kind of hunky-dory. Well, this year, you sing that song, you can kind of feel yourself getting emotional. You know, you, you, just, you just, you hear it and you go, boy, are we weary. Uh, what a weary, weary world we are in. And yet, what Advent is about is about us building up anticipation for the breaking in, and that's why that chorus kind of has that just, you know, climactic ending the way that it does is because everything does change when Jesus enters the world. And so now between that time that he came to earth and the time that we wait for his return, again, we live in the same way. We're going to look again at a text. We're going to start with that text, and then we're going to move on to what's after it that I actually preached on about five or six uh, weeks ago here at NBC because and we did it in the series on the promises of God. Uh, but it's also kind of a classic Advent text, and the reason for it is that waiting itself uh, is not something that we particularly are fond of. Advent is this season where we kind of celebrate the first coming of Jesus, but we also look forward to that time when he's going to come again. And so the question would always come up there in the early church, okay, well, he said he was coming back. How long is it going to take? It's been a year, they would say, two years, three years, four years, to the point that eventually people got frustrated or doubtful about it, and people went around uh, saying, hey, if this whole thing was actually true, then maybe he would have been here by now. And so the Apostle Peter tries to exhort the early Christians on this fact, and I think it'll be some good medicine for us today. But Advent teaches us to wait on God. Let me ask you just very quickly uh, how you feel about waiting on anything. I mean, anything. Uh, do I like waiting in line at a restaurant? I do not. Do I like waiting at the DMV? I do not. Do I like waiting, for instance, just imagine being uh, engaged and waiting for the wedding day. Did you enjoy that? Probably not, actually. There was probably some point where you're like, oh, we have all this planning time, it'll be great. But then there's another panic point where you, where, where you realize it's like, okay, we're fighting more than we ever have. We've kind of uh, argued about the font on the invitations enough. Let's get on with it. All right. Uh, have you found yourself at any point, think about something that you go, boy, I'm so glad I waited for that. Now, you couldn't hindsight, right? But I'm talking about in the middle where you go, you know what? Uh, this is thrilling. I, I just, so I, I, if I could just have more, more waited. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and go, we got, we got seated too fast? I've been at any place that you can think of and gone, no, 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 no. We need to wait more. We don't wait well. Let me give you a couple of scenarios. You tell me which one and how you might respond. I'll give you the scenario. You pick A, B, or C, all right? First scenario, you're at a red light. You're the second car in line. The light turns green, but the driver in the car in front of you does nothing. So you wait for that what seems like a dog second to be, you know, courteous to them. Uh, so what do you do? Consider your options. Option A, you're happy. You observe that they are thankfully getting to take some much-needed time to get uh, onto their smartphone and take care of some business that they needed to take care of. Um, so you think, boy, I'm glad that they had the opportunity to send that last text, and I'm so glad that none of us gotten in their way. Uh, so that's one option. That's A. B, uh, you think of things that you would like to say to the driver. 
you know, like, 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 please come to Christmas Eve at New Vintage Church or something like that. That's what crosses your mind. And then option C, of course, is that you make use of your horn, whether it's the, the love tap, okay, or it's the cursing through horn that most of us are, are accustomed to. A, B, C. Scenario number two. You've been sitting in the waiting room of your doctor's office for an hour. You were there at your appointment time. You were actually there the 15 minutes early too. But now you're an hour into it. Nobody's doing anything. So how do you respond? A, you're thankful for the opportunity to catch up on reading that 1993 Reader's Digest that they have sitting there on the coffee table. That's one. Uh, I can sit there and read through all of these magazines and I can do an analysis of uh, how, much, how many germs I'm probably inhaling by being in this waiting room with everybody else in here who's sick at this particular point in time. Option A, you give thanks for it. Option B, you, you tell the other patients that you have a very highly contagious and perhaps even fatal disease in an attempt to empty the waiting room. Option C, you force yourself to hyperventilate so that you get to the front of the line, right? Um, in any one of those cases, we usually don't do any of them. We just wait. And as we do, we don't get happier. We don't get more spiritual. We get frustrated. We get angry. We start doubting. We start doing it. Whose fault is this? If, you know, I mean, what kind of a doctor's office makes their patients wait like this? I'll tell you what, buddy. This is the last time I'm going to be at this office. Restaurant, I'm not waiting five minutes. Are you kidding me? I mean, I thought this was called fast food. I mean, this has been fast about five minutes. I'm not coming back to this place. I should be seated right away. Very few of us get better when we're waiting. And yet, that's exactly what we're called to do. Peter says, you're going to be waiting, and it's likely to be a while. So when you do, instead of just getting upset about it, instead of doubting, instead of doing any of those things, get better while you wait. That there's actually a formative element to waiting. There's stuff that God does in the hearts of people when they're waiting that he doesn't do when they're getting everything that they want on demand. So right now, if we have eyes to see, especially this year, I think if we're waiting for the gospel to break through, if we're waiting for the gospel to come to fruition, if we're waiting for the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if we're willing to heed the words of the Apostle Peter today, we might just find ourselves getting something out of this. Not the part that satiates the flesh, but the part that builds and forms the soul. We'll be in 2 Peter chapter 3 today as you're flipping over there. Um, as much as we talk about these casual kinds of waiting, there are other ones that are very, very serious to people and, and tend to oppress them over time if it keeps going on and on. A single person waiting to see if maybe they're going to finally meet the one. Is, am I ever going to find that person? Uh, the waiting of a childless couple who desperately wants to start a family, but day after day, week after week, their prayer goes unanswered. The waiting of somebody who longs to have work that is meaningful and significant, it seems to matter, but it never seems to happen. The waiting of a spouse that's trapped in a hurting marriage that doesn't seem like it's ever going to change, but they keep waiting and they keep waiting and they keep hoping and they keep waiting and wishing and hoping and waiting. And all of those things, and when it doesn't happen, the disappointment of expectations. Lewis Smedes, the writer, puts it like this. He says, waiting is our destiny. 
As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame that we can't light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. So when you get to 2 Peter chapter 3, there in verses 3 and 4, there are some false teachers suggesting that because Jesus is taking so long to return, there is no second coming. There will be no judgment. Just because God doesn't come, though, when we expect or when we think he should, that doesn't mean that he's never coming back. Now, there are a ton of applications here for everyday life, um, but one of the biggest and the one I want to focus on this morning is the worldview that we bring into the life that we live. So we're going to read this text, 2 Peter 3. We're going to read verses 8 to 15 and listen to the words of the apostle. Here's what he writes. You must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise like some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. The very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? So he says, so since this is going to happen, okay, he says, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along, on that day he will set the heavens on fire, the elements will melt away in the flames, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he's promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Amen. All right. So we're going to start where we ended uh, a few weeks ago, okay? God isn't slow. He's patient. Those are two different things. Time is different to him, Peter says, than it is to us. I, I, you know, if I, if I tell my kids, oh, it's going to, uh, you know, don't worry, we won't get it now. We're going to get it next week. A week to them feels forever. Right, a week to me goes by, like I take a nap and a week is gone. Like, like time just flies for me. We have a totally different sense of scale. Peter tries to help him understand, no, I know it seems like a long time to you guys, but God doesn't, God deals in like ages and, and eons. He doesn't deal in minutes and seconds. And that's the kind of stuff we deal with. God is not impressed by our need, our tapping of the foot throughout this life to make sure that we get what we want when we want it. God is patient. He's not slow. He's patient. If he wasn't, his point is going to be, we'd all be in deep trouble. But because he's patient, God wants everybody to come to repentance. Everybody to come to repentance. I remember my dad once when we were having a conversation about when he would come back again. My dad, uh, he says, I don't know. So we're, not, we're not told when. And Jesus himself says he didn't know the day or the hour. But he says, uh, my guess is it'll be when Every last person has had the chance to repent. Right. Actually, that was a pretty good answer. Yep. Because that's the character and nature of God. Amen. God is patient with us, not wanting anybody. So, so for you, for instance, it might seem like it's slow. But if you've got loved ones outside of the Lord, if you see things going on in the world that are absolutely atrocious and need to be changed or fixed, 
if there are things that are broken in you right now at this very hour that you need to get on top of, that you need the shining light of Jesus to break into, if you've got friends that are, are off and away from God, then this is good news. Now he's patient. There's an old joke, I remember, the, uh, about an economist who was talking to God about this very text. And he says, Lord, is it true that a thousand years for us is just like one minute to you? And the Lord said, yes. The economist said, well, then a million dollars to us must be like one penny to you. The Lord said, yes. The economist said, well, Lord, will you give me one of those pennies? The Lord said, all right, I will. Wait here a minute. Right? So you see how the whole, the whole thing goes. That's the old, the old joke there. Tries to illustrate the time. But listen, here's what I want you to understand, Sister Brad. There's a time. There's a time for all of us, and this might be it for you. We all need patience from someone else. And, and one of the good news pieces of the gospel here at Advent is that God is patient. He's patient in ways that we're not patient. That when we're impatient, He's patient. When we say, that can't stand and I'm going to deal with it right now, He says, be patient. Like the prophet Jonah, who did everything he could because God was languishing with Nineveh, who had done some really terrible things. It's not like Jonah, the prophet, was way off by saying, no, 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 I don't want to go preach good news to them. I don't want to give them the chance to repent. God says, I do. Amen. They're my people. And so because I'm patient, because I'm slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, I need you to go there. Jonah says, no, I refuse. Not a good idea. Jonah gets thrown overboard off a ship, swallowed by a great fish, vomited onto dry land after crying out to God, and doesn't die there, in part because God is patient with Jonah. Amen. And he's patient with Nineveh. And so Jonah gets up, and under his breath, he says to them, 40 more days, and I'm sure people go, people go, oh, I'm sorry, we, we didn't catch that. Can you say that one more time? No, 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 because he doesn't want them to be forgiven. Right. See, the whole premise here is not even that God just doesn't understand how rough it is on us. I know he gets that. It's just that we don't understand the, the, the vastness of the love of God. We don't understand how wide and long and deep and wide the love of God is, which produces the patience with people because he doesn't want anybody to perish but all to come to repentance. See, our lives are like a vapor, and what seems like an eternity to us is just a moment to God. That person that you go, boy, they lived a long time. They're 100. I once had a woman in my church who was 114 years old. Wow. Yeah, we told her, if you can get to 110, we'll send a limousine to pick you up and bring you to church. She made it. We sent a limousine to go to her house and pick her up and come back to church. I know, amen. I mean, she made it to 114. Like, like, you know, all that stuff where, like, today's show, everybody's, like, following the, the, the whole deal, right? And you know what? Her life was like that to God. Yes. Just like that. So Peter does us a great favor here. They're helping us understand that our waiting isn't pointless. There is a reason. The reason is the love of God. It's not a feature of God. It's not a personality trait. It's who he is. It's his essence. It's who he is. He is known as slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's referred to that way throughout. Certainly the Old Testament and the New 
as John the Apostle will say, God is love. So we shouldn't mistake patience for slowness. God doesn't want anybody to perish, everybody to come to repentance. Slow to anger. I'm quick to anger, he's slow to anger. God wants people to repent, I want them punished. My flesh messes up my clock. My clock drags things out, or I should say speeds them up, because I want it done and I want it done right away. But the love of God slows things down. It's patient. Now, I don't mean that he's like the cosmic DMV worker up there doing things that intentionally cause things to be slow. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's totally different. It is, this is who I am. This is who they are. This is what the whole world is actually about. It's about me restoring what was broken at the fall. And I'm doing it through my son, Jesus Christ. And all who call on his name, there will be salvation, but I'm not pulling the curtain down on this world until I know, because I knit every one of these people together in their mother's womb. I'm not pulling the curtain down on, on this little project here we call earth until everybody has been given the chance. He wants them to repent. He's not slow. He's not lacking concern. He's patient. Number two, nothing is more relevant to our present than our future. Biblical waiting, as it's described here, is not passive waiting around or for somebody or someone uh, to come along that's going to allow us to escape trouble. Sometimes people will say, oh, I'm just waiting on the Lord or whatever, and they fail to take initiative that God would want them to do. What, what, you know, uh, I see this happen sometimes in, in finance. People have f horrible financial habits, impulsive spending, refusal to save money. They get themselves in a hum huge mess, and then say, we're waiting on the Lord to provide. In reality, what, what God's probably waiting on them to, to start honoring him with what he's entrusted to them. So the waiting that he's talking about here is not idle. He says, therefore, you live holy, blameless lives. You lead them in such a way that Jesus could come right now, and you'd be very happy with the state he found you in, your soul, your hands, being clean, pure heart. And so we live ready, slightly like a, like a, a lineman waiting for the hike of the ball. When you're there, you don't move. Once you're set, you're set, and you're ready, and you're just listening and waiting for the call. That, that's the idea here. We live ready, holy, blameless lives as we wait. Biblical waiting is not passive. It's not a way to evade some unpleasant reality. It is a confident, disciplined, expectant, active, sometimes painful, clinging to God. Waiting on the Lord is the continual daily decision to say, God, I will trust you and I will obey you even though the circumstances of my life are not turning out the way that I want them to. I am betting everything on you and I have no plan B. That's what it is. That's what waiting on the, on the Lord looks like. Biblical waiting looks remarkably like biblical living. Let that sink in. Biblical waiting looks a lot like biblical living. How do you wait? You honor Jesus every day. You trust him every day. How do I wait? I'm living in such a way that I'm glorifying God to whatever. You know what? It, yesterday, we were at the Spivey house. 
Is Emily out here? Okay, good. We'll keep it just between the thousand of us or so that are watching around the country. Here's what we're going to do. We were sitting there, and yesterday, this was the, like, door knock Saturday morning, where our door just got, our doorbell went off, like, 15 times, like, before noon. Everybody and their mother was coming to our house and ringing the doorbell. And we just wanted to sit in our pajamas, man. But you know how it is. Somebody rings the doorbell. It's like, they see all the cars in the driveway. It's not like it's a big mystery over here. What are they going to think? What if it's important? What if it's whatever? You know, one was like, hey, have you seen my ball? No, get out of here. Beat it, kid. You know, go back, kids, whatever. But then when you're not ready, what do you do? You open the door, and you're like, can I help you? Yeah, hi. And it's a, a pest control guy that is going through the neighborhood on a sales call. The next one's a mailman with, with, with the eight billionth Amazon package of the season coming to, you know, some you know, little with, with encoded with don't touch Tim on it on the outside. Another one was we just over and over and over and over and over. And what was awkward about it was we never once thought about getting out of our pajamas so that if the bell continued to ring, that we would be ready to greet people. So what do we do? We stayed in our pajamas and got mad that the bell was ringing. You see the difference? See, one says, I expect this is going to happen, so therefore I'm going to be ready. Another says, I don't think it's ever going to happen or whatever, or I just like my pajamas more than I like answering the door. Right? So that way of looking at things, people live that way. They never get ready. Spiritually, not ready. And anybody who suggests they do it, I have a right to stay in my pajamas if I want to. If God really loved me, he wouldn't ring the bell. He wouldn't ring the bell at all. He'd keep me in the pajamas and I'd be, he'd accept me just the way I am. Oh man, you have, don't have the half of it, how much he's accepted you. The question is, how long are you going to sit around in your pajamas here on this earth? Right? We're we just going to we're just going to stay not ready forever. Or are we going to heed the words of the apostle here that says, no, 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 here's how we wait. We wait with eager expectation, and because I know he's coming, I will live ready, because the bell will go off, and I want to be ready. So we don't, we're not sitting here thumbing through the magazines in the waiting room. We're not cutting ourselves off from the world. Instead, we strive to live lives of holiness and godliness that we can hasten the Lord's return. We heed these words from the apostle Peter. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. You'll notice the graphics and everything. We're borrowing little snippets uh, here and there from A Christmas Carol. Um, we, we all need to live our lives in the, by the truth of the return of Christ, Okay. Ebenezer Scrooge, he first sees the ghost of Christmas future. There he is. And he exclaims, I fear you more than any specter I've seen. But as I know your purpose is to do me good, and as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, I am prepared to bear you company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? He says, when the, when the ghost of Christmas future comes up, he's like, Look, you're terrifying to me. I don't even want to know what's coming down, but since I know that you're not here to, to, to do me harm, I'm willing to listen, even though I'm terrified by this. There's something of that in Advent. It is, I'm here, and I'm going to accept 
what God is telling me to do. And instead of being terrified at the Lord's return, I'm going to look forward to the Lord's return for the day that this weary world can rejoice, that, that once and for all, all of the stuff that is ruining everything about everything, it seems like these days, will be put to sleep once and for all, and now I can do that. And now I'm going to listen to that, and I'm going to be ready for it when it comes. Scrooge, in A Christmas Carol, he doesn't repent until his heart is broken by more than how things are. It's not until he sees the future and he sees his old partner Marley in chains in torment and he sees the wreckage of his own life. That's when he starts to change. Our destiny is what ought to shape our tomorrow. Our eternity is what shapes our today. And Christ's return more than anything shapes the way that we should see our lives. Philippians 3.20, Paul reminds us of this. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior. We await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes the biggest mistake we make is to live with our understanding of the present without regard for the future and where this thing is going and what our future looks like. Christianity says that we live our present in the light of the future, that Jesus will come again, and that that's something we can trust. Henry Nouwen, uh, the theologian and therapist and a whole bunch of other things, he uh, he wrote a little book called Sabbatical Journeys, and in it he talks about some friends of his called the Flying Rudellas. They're trapeze artists. Now, some of you who are afraid of heights, that picture probably gives you some anxiety just looking at it, right? Uh, but the, per the thing about trapeze artists that is interesting is you have the, uh, the flyer and the catcher. Yep. All right, and the flyer and the catcher um, when, when, you, when you fling off, I guess that's the, I'm sure that's the technical term for it, you fling off of the, the trapeze, your job is to remain totally still. Because if you move, the person who's trying to catch you can't catch you. Now think about the counterintuition involved in that. If, if that were me, I would fling off and I would be screaming and flailing around the entire time and I would be dropped. The flying rudellas get it. So when they fling off, their job is to remain completely still so that the catcher can catch them. When the flyer is swinging high above the crowd on the trapeze, the moment comes when he must let go and when he arcs out into the air and his job is to remain as still as possible and wait for the strong hands of the catcher to pluck him from the air. The trapeze artist told Henry now, and he says, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. Let that sink in. The flyer must never try to catch the catcher. Well, if we use this as an analogy to theology and, and our relationship to God, we don't need to try to catch the catcher. He'll catch us, right? Our job is to trust and to do what he tells us to do and to prepare ourselves for the catch. And he'll catch us. But the second we try to catch the catcher or we start, you know, doing this, or going, oh, I don't know if he's gonna do it or not. And so we decide to do something else. That's when things get weird. Some of us are vulnerable right now. We're having a vulnerable moment right now. We've let go of what God has called us to let go of, but we still can't feel God's hand catching us just yet. 
And so the temptation is to start flailing around, grasping for other things. But Art, can we hear the call today from Scripture to go back and, and wait around in absolute trust? And we can trust Him because God won't get bored or impatient. He's waiting. He's waiting for us. So we wait for the one who waits for us. Flyer and catcher. Uh, I, I, I posted something on Facebook that got way more traction than I was expecting it to. Um, I think I have it here for you. Do we have it? There we go. I said, today was the 1,811th, 634th day in a row. I have turned off numerous lights left on in empty rooms in our house. Co-signed by loving husbands and fathers around the world. Hashtag turn it off, right? <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and I, I, got, I was just at this moment where I was like, I don't know, it's 10 o'clock at night. I was tired. I think I counted 11 lights that night. I didn't even know you could have 11 lights in your house. But we got these little doily lamps. It's Christmas time, right? Little, 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 little lampy things all over the house. Little lights, <laughs> little lights. <laughs> it's, a, it's like Christmas tree and, the, and the, like eight lamps in the study that are all seasonal. And, and they all, of course, have a lampshade like that big. In, in, a, in a switch that's at the top. So somebody with my size of hand going in there is almost impossible. It's maximum chance of electrocution for me. I have to go way in there to get them done. And I found myself getting upset and impatient. I'm like, every day, people? Like, and of course, all the fixer types, like, why don't you just get motion-sensitive lights in your house? You want to come put them in, Jack? You want to pay for them? <laughs> then come on, have a ball. And... You know what you hate, everybody hates about those things is they go off if you're just sitting relatively still in a room. Yeah. So you'd be sitting there like, like even here in our beloved grand. There's a workspace that I've got and that thing turns off like every five minutes. And then I have to, you know, do one of these deals to try and prove that I'm alive and in the room, right? <laughs> and it still doesn't work. So I usually have to get up and start moving on foot in the room before it comes back on. Okay, all of this stuff. And I, I found myself going, why am I so stinking impatient? What a small thing. If God had a Facebook account, he might say, today was, for the love of myself, the forever and eternal day in a row that I've had to put up and forgive everybody on this beloved planet. Hashtag, I don't know, Jesus, I don't know what he would put, right? But it's just like, I looked at my own impatience and then I look at the text I'm preaching and talking about the patience of God and I realize that the only reason I'm saved is because he's patient. He's patient. And so we wait. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was imprisoned by Hitler during World War II. Writes to his fiancée on one lesson he learned from his life in prison. And he says, a prison cell in which one waits and hopes, does various unessential things and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside. That's not a bad picture of Advent. We're in a prison cell, I guess, of sorts called this earth, and it can only be opened from the outside. In Jesus and Christmas, what we remember here in Advent, Christmas, and this whole season is God 
reaching down, opening the door from the outside. So this morning we give him praise and we wait for the Christ who waits for us. This time of year reminds us that we are waiting on God and that in God's future, everything is going to be different and everything will be better and set right at just the right time. So we're going to gather around the Lord's table this morning, take this thing we call communion. You should have gotten a little bag with some uh, crackers and juice on the inside of it and if you didn't get one and you would like one kind of raise your hand and just keep it in the air we have some ushers come in and they've got some to give you if not that's okay as well we do this every week here at new vintage church and it's a time for us to reflect on the word of god and on the gospel itself and as we do today let's think about how we how we plan to wait until the day of the lord's return the Apostle Peter, uh, through the word of God today, has said, get yourselves ready by living holy and blameless lives. Get your hands clean. Get your mind clean. Get your heart clean. Get your mouth clean. Get all of that stuff ready. Ready. That's how we prepare ourselves to be caught. By the great catcher, if you will. So now, let us pray give thanks for Jesus, the one who caught us.